And now would you please stand for the reading of the word of God. This morning I'll be reading from the book of Acts chapter 1 beginning with verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead and he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. For centuries, the church has professed these words from the Apostles' Creed. And yet, for many people, though they recite these words Sunday after Sunday, the truth is they don't actually know what they're saying. Yes, we understand that Jesus suffered, that he was crucified, and that he died, and that he was buried. As Christians, we believe that on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. But what does it mean that Jesus ascended? And why does it matter? Today is Ascension Sunday. It is that Sunday in the church calendar when we celebrate the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ the moment that he was taken up to heaven to be seated on the throne at the right hand of God. And unlike Christmas or Easter, it's a church holiday that often passes us by with very little notice. What does the ascension really mean? You see, the truth is is that the gospel is incomplete without the ascension. It was at the ascension that Jesus Christ was inaugurated fully 
as king. It was his heavenly coronation ceremony. It was a heavenly proclamation in triumph that Jesus Christ is king of kings, that he has conquered sin and death through his resurrection. And now he has been seated at the right hand of God and he is reigning and ruling and bringing his kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. The ascension of Jesus Christ means everything for us as Christians. And this morning, as we continue our series through the resurrection life, what I want us all to see is that the ascension of Jesus is deeply connected to the kingdom of God. And it is that connection and that reason why the ascension of Jesus Christ means everything to our mission and to our calling to extend the kingdom of Jesus Christ to Dallas and to the world. The first way I want to look at this, I want us to talk about the kingdom of God for us. The book of Acts, Luke is recording the second of two books, two volumes He tells us in verse one that the first book, he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That was the gospel of Luke. And now in the second book, the second volume, he is continuing the story. Now he is talking about everything that Jesus did through the Holy Spirit and building up the church. The second book, the book of Acts, picks up where the book of Luke leaved off picks up with the ascension. Verse two, we're told until the day he was taken up, until the day he was ascended, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. In other words, the ascension is the turning point in the gospel story. It's the turning point, a transition between what Jesus did here on earth and then what Jesus did through his church as the risen and ascended king. And so Luke begins to describe Jesus' ascension in verse 3. I want you to look at your Bible. Acts 1, verse 3. We're told that Jesus presented himself alive to his disciples after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, this is one of the most common misconceptions that people have about Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't immediately go to heaven after he rose from the dead. But Luke tells us that actually 40 days transpired in between his resurrection and the ascension. And I think we have to ask ourselves why. Why did Jesus wait to ascend to the throne? What is it that he had left to do? Well, Luke tells us two primary reasons. The first he tells us is that he appeared to his disciples by many proofs. And this is what we've been talking about over these last several weeks, that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, to the disciples in the upper room, to to doubting Thomas, to Peter, and, and six others on a rocky beach by the Sea of Galilee. He did this to prove that he really did rise from the dead, that Jesus Christ rose again bodily. But that's not the only reason. 
You see, Luke tells us that not only did he appear to them during these 40 days to prove the resurrection, but during these 40 days, he spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, in many ways, this should not surprise us. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he taught about the kingdom of God. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel of Matthew puts it this way. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Later on, Jesus preached the most famous sermon that's ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount. It is a sermon about life and the kingdom of God. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, throughout the gospels, taught in parables. And if you pay attention to the parables, you'll notice a theme. Every one of them is a picture about the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And then, of course, Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so you see, The fact that during these 40 days, Jesus was speaking about the kingdom was nothing new, but it is significant. It's almost as if Jesus waited, that he still had something left to say before his ascension, something he could not have said about the kingdom until after his resurrection. You see, I think in the beginning of his teaching, Jesus's message was the kingdom of God is coming. And now after the resurrection, as he approaches that moment when he will ascend to heaven and take the throne, his message is now the kingdom of God is come. It has been established in his death and resurrection. What the ascension teaches us is that the kingdom is come here and now. And so you see the ascension is the beginning of God's answer to the Lord's prayer that his kingdom really is come, that his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we say that the kingdom of God has come, what are we saying? What is the kingdom of God? My favorite definition of the kingdom of God is simple, but it it really is so meaningful. Comes from Graham Goldsworthy. And this is what he says. He says, the kingdom of God involves God's people in God's place under God's rule. In other words, the kingdom of God is everywhere and over everyone where God's redeeming authority reigns. Apostle Peter put it this way, 1 Peter, verse, uh, uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 21. This is what he said. He said, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, 
with angels and authorities and powers being subjected to him. In other words, the story of Jesus in its fullness is a story about a king, a king who was born in a manger, a king that then lived a humble and lowly life as a servant, a king that then died for his subjects, even when his subjects committed treason against him, and then a king who then conquered sin and death and in victory ascended to the throne and is now reigning and ruling over all things. The question this morning for you and for me is this. Have you submitted yourself to his kingdom? See, the truth is, though the kingdom of God is everything to Jesus' message, so few of us really think about it very often. And that's true this morning, whether you are Christian or not a Christian. Even Christians do not think about the kingdom of God enough. I think this is because it's not just hard for us to comprehend intellectually, but each and every day you and I live lives that oppose God's kingdom. We're traitors. We live lives that seek to establish our own little kingdoms and we bow down at other earthly kings. And so this morning what I want you to see is that God has established his kingdom for you. The Gospels tell us that Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. In other words, he preached the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is good news. And this morning you might be wondering, well, why would I want God's kingdom? Why would I want to be ruled by him? Why would I want to submit myself to his reign and his authority? Because as we saw several weeks ago, where the kingdom of God is established, there is shalom. Where the kingdom of God reigns, there is peace. There is justice. There is restoration. There is healing. The reason why we are told that Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, because where the kingdom of God reigns, there is salvation. So what I want you to see is not only is the kingdom of God for you and for me, but the second thing I want you to see, not only is the kingdom of God for us, but the ascension shows us that the kingdom of God is now in us. I want you to look at Acts 1 verse 4. Luke tells us while staying with them, Jesus ordered the disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, this had to have been such a confusing time for the disciples. I want you for just a moment to put yourself in their shoes. Imagine what it must have been like for them. They were with Jesus every single day for three years. And, and then they saw Jesus arrested. And he was crucified on the cross. And they thought that they, they would never see him ever again. And then he rose again. And then for 40 days, off and on, he appeared to them. And now at the ascension, he was going up to heaven. And once again, they, they would never see him, at least on earth. Never again. And yet, now in his ascension, 
now that he was leaving them, now that he was going to heaven, in actuality, he would never become more close. And what do I mean by that? Well, see, Jesus told them to wait for a promise. The promise of the Father. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at verse 5. Jesus said, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What Jesus is telling his disciples is that just in a few days, at Pentecost, they would receive the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit and Pentecost next week. But for now, this is what I want you to know about the connection of the ascension, the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus had talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit earlier to his disciples. We see this in the book of John. In John 16, Jesus told his disciples this. He said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's an unbelievable statement. And in many ways, this is what the disciples are now experiencing at the ascension. Jesus said, it's actually for your good that I leave you. It's to your advantage that I go away. In other words, it's to your advantage that I ascend to heaven. Because in Jesus' ascension to heaven and him taking the throne, he now has the ability to not just reign and rule over all the earth, but now he can draw near and reign and rule in your hearts. This is the great paradox and the promise that the ascension gives us. I stumbled upon this quote from a, a theologian named Douglas Farrow this week in learning more about the ascension for myself. Douglas Farrow is a Catholic theologian and he says it this way. He says, in the ascension, we see Jesus who is not seen, but is seen who is at the table, but not at the table, who is both with us and away from us, who is walked with yet awaited. What is he talking about? I think what he's getting at is that kind of question that every child has asked, and yes, even adults have asked with a childlike faith. It's the question, where is Jesus now? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, where is he? Is Jesus in heaven? Is he everywhere? Is Jesus all around us? Is Jesus in us? We see all kinds of language used in the Bible to describe where Jesus is, and it seems almost as if they contradict. Jesus is reigning and ruling from heaven, and yet Jesus is dwelling in us through our union with Christ. Well, how can that be? Well, we see in the ascension this tension that as Jesus is being lifted up to heaven. He is actually drawing near through the power of the Holy Spirit bringing the kingdom of God inside of us. Well, what does this look like? Well, I think we're giving us a picture in the Bible, the story of Nicodemus. John chapter three, we're told about a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus and he asks him, 
how Jesus can do the things that he can do. Jesus answers Nicodemus, and this is what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus asks him, he says, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And this is what Jesus says, and I want you to listen. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to to you, unless one is born of water and the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. God has established his redemptive kingdom inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And the question that you must ask this morning, just like Nicodemus, is have you submitted yourself to his kingship? Or are you putting up a fight? Are you still committing treason against the kingdom of God, trying to establish your own little kingdom and having it your own way? This is called sin. And this is what you and I do every day. But in the ascension, we see a picture of God's grace that our risen and ascended king has now drawn near to us so that he might send the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, to show us of our treason, and to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that the kingdom of God might reign and rule inside our hearts so that it might subdue the most sinful and darkest places of the human heart, that it might win out over the most treasonous ways that you and I live every single day, and that this might be good news to know that Jesus wins. This is what the ascension promises. It's a foretaste of the day when Jesus will win once and for all. Every week during this series on the resurrection life, we have made these words our confession of sin. This is what we've said. We have said, grant me more and more of the resurrection life. May it rule me, may I walk in its power and be strengthened through its influence. Did you catch it? Though we have said these words every single Sunday, I wonder if you've missed the significance of what we're saying. Grant me more and more of the resurrection life. May it rule me. When we say that prayer, what are we saying? We are asking that the resurrection life would establish the kingdom of God in our hearts. That we would be ruled that we would be subdued, that we would bow to the power of the resurrection life, that we would recognize along with Christ's disciples that the ascension means that Christ is king and his kingship is good for our souls, that we desperately need his authority and his reign and rule over sin and death deep within us. This is what we've been given and the power and the gift, the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
And so the last thing I want us to see this morning, I want us to see the kingdom of God through us. I want you to look at verse six. Acts chapter one, verse six. We're told that the disciples came together and they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, at least the disciples understood the gravity of the moment. They understood at least a little bit about what they were witnessing, that as Jesus went up to heaven, they were witnessing a heavenly coronation ceremony. But what they could not comprehend was the vast scope of the kingdom of God. No, the kingdom of God is not just coming to Israel, but it is so much bigger than that. And so Jesus responds and he says in verse seven, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, it's not for any of us to know when Christ will return and establish his kingdom once and for all. But until that day comes, we must live with great anticipation. The disciples after the ascension had a saying, Maranatha, it meant come quickly, Lord Jesus. They lived every day in great anticipation that one day Christ would return. They learned this lesson at the ascension. In verse eight, Jesus told his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. No, the kingdom of God is not just going to come to Israel, but it's going to come to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God is at work. His kingdom is being extended He is on the move and he is establishing his kingdom to the very ends of the earth. And now he's called his disciples and he is calling you and me to be his witnesses. Now the thing about being a witness is that you cannot witness to someone unless you have witnessed something for yourself. You cannot make disciples unless you are a disciple. In other words, you can't tell other people about the power of the gospel unless you have authentically experienced the power of the gospel for yourself. But when you have experienced the gospel, when you have seen that the gospel is true, not just objectively out there as some outside truth, or some philosophical or theological premise, but also for yourself that you have experienced what the death and resurrection means for your salvation, that when you have witnessed that, you cannot help but tell others what you have seen and what you have heard. When you and I experience the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus to seek and save the lost, the power to forgive every sin, even the sin that perhaps this morning that has entangled you, perhaps a sin that you feel like God could never forgive, the gospel has the power to forgive once and for all. The gospel has the power to heal every disease, to to lift every affliction, to set the addict free, to restore marriages, to turn sinners into saints. This morning, if you have seen the work of the gospel in your life, that makes you a witness. The question is, what are you bearing witness to? What story are you telling and whose kingdom are you trying to build? 
verse 9, we're told that as Jesus said these things, as the disciples were looking on, Jesus was lifted up and a cloud took them out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went and behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And Jesus said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I love this. These disciples don't even know what just hit them. As they watch this risen Savior, their, their King and their friend, Jesus Christ, ascending up to heaven, dumbfounded at what they are witnessing, two angels now have appeared in his place. And they rebuke them. And these angels say, what are you doing just standing there? Why are you just staring up into heaven? Don't just stand there. Don't you see there's work to do? These angels tell the disciples that one day Jesus Christ will come again to establish his kingdom fully once and for all. But until that day comes, there's work to do. Work to be the witnesses of the kingdom of God in our midst. Here at Park City's Presbyterian Church, we say that we exist to extend the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ to Dallas and to the world. What does that mean? What does it mean to extend the kingdom of Jesus? John Calvin put it this way, that as the church of Jesus Christ, we must make the invisible kingdom visible in our midst. And what the ascension shows you and me is that the risen Jesus, the ascended Jesus, Jesus Christ, who is now seated on the throne, has now given you and me the authority through the Holy Spirit to be his ambassadors, to be princes and princesses in the kingdom of God, called to usher in the kingdom to extend his kingdom to Dallas and to the ends of the earth until he comes again. And so brothers and sisters, friends of Park City's Presbyterian Church, don't just stand there. What are you staring at? Don't just stand there looking up to heaven, but know that Jesus Christ will one day return in the same way that he went up. And when he comes again, he will make all things new. He will establish his kingdom. He will restore all things. Death will be no more and there will be no more crying or pain anymore. And the former things will pass away. He will make all things new. But until that day comes, we have work to do. He has called you and me to be witnesses, to be his ambassadors, to extend his kingdom to Dallas and to the world until he comes again. His kingdom for us, his kingdom in us, and his kingdom through us. Let's pray. 
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for all that you've given us in your son Jesus. We thank you for the great gift and picture of the ascension and what it means for us now that Jesus Christ reigns as our king. We anticipate the day when he will come again. And until that day comes, we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. Amen.